This week, to the sound of drum rolls and trumpets, Russian President Vladimir Putin welcomed Chinese President Xi Jinping to the Kremlin. It was a very dramatic ceremony. The TV cameras picked up how the two presidents strode towards together in this massive marbled hall. That's Mary Ilushna. She covers Russia for the Post. And she says, while this meeting isn't exactly unusual, Putin and she have met many times, it's a really important one because it's Xi's first visit to Russia since Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Moscow became really isolated from the international community. You know, it was kind of shunned by the West. So this visit is really important because it kind of supports the fundamental Kremlin talking point that it's not as isolated as the West is trying to present it. It still has allies. So this is definitely a way for Russia to prove that it's still very much doing fine despite the Western pressure and for China to kind of show that it's able to do whatever it wants And, Mary says, China and Russia are doing more than just giving each other legitimacy and reaffirming their support for each other. They're also working together to try and change the balance of global power. So Russia and China are trying to create this post-American new world order where U.S. is not the arbiter of everything that happens on the global stage. Both Putin and Xi Jinping find themselves sort of in this very confrontational relationship with the U.S. role, whether it comes to economy, international relations, human rights, uh, virtually any aspect of the global affairs. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, This is Post Reports. I'm Chris Velasco. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. Today, China and Russia's push to create a new world order and what this state visit means for the shifting dynamics between these two countries. But first, I ask Mary about what actually happened at Xi and Putin's meeting. So this three-day visit between Xi and Putin just ended. What do we know about what happened there? The first day was very informal. They had a long dinner, I think it was four hours, where Vladimir Putin served Xi Jinping wine from his alleged palace on the Black Sea Resort. And the second day was very much formal. They've had official talks with delegations present. They've signed two joint agreements. The first one is really the most important one. It's about sort of economic cooperation. There's a lot to talk about there. And Russia is now really dependent on China in terms of trade and its its main energy client. And the second one is the kind of more general agreement about deepening bilateral ties and sort of becoming even more intertwined um, as to regional powers. This was a key meeting because China, on one hand, provided Russia with sort of reinforcement and diplomatic cover for Vladimir Putin's ambition. And for Putin, that was an opportunity to cement a lot of the economic ties and sort of upcoming projects with China that have helped Russia to keep its economy afloat. And it's also a way for him to underscore that he is not necessarily alone on the global stage as the West tries to present it. So let's travel back in time for just a second to before this state visit happened. Mary, can you sort of walk us through the contours of Russia and China's relationship? And has it changed at all because of what's been going on in Ukraine? 
Yes and no. So before the war, they were very much, you know, close economic partners. There were a lot of uh, joint programs and they're still in place to kind of develop and kind of, you know, have great trade deals and cultural ties and business ties and everything. But the war, it seemed quite rattled Xi Jinping. China did not sort of lend direct support. It did not, you know, praise the invasion, but it did not criticize it as well. And the way it's sort of been helping Russia is economic, and there's no evidence that it's sending direct, like, lethal aid or weapons or anything. But it definitely helped Russia to stay afloat after the West imposed all these sanctions and, you know, significantly kind of crippled the economy and access to foreign markets. And that's where China stepped in. China exported a huge amount of hydrocarbons from Russia. Some of the articles that they've imported, they've doubled uh, over the last year. And they enjoyed very low prices because of general lack of huge demand for Russian energy because of these sanctions. And also they've helped uh, Russia in kind of material ways because Russia needs electronics, Russia needs semiconductors, Russia needs a lot of technical things that they can't manufacture to also support the war. For example, you know, they can be buying civilian drones from civilian producers in China, but they are dual-purpose goods, so it's kind of a loophole. So in a lot of these kind of indirect ways, China has been helping Russia. Mary, you mentioned that so far China has not lent direct military assistance to Russia, but that continues to be a topic of conversation, at least in the Biden administration, which, uh, to my understanding, has recently started thinking through some of the the actions it would take in case China were to do that. Do you have a sense that anything that happened during this state visit has maybe changed the likelihood of China rendering that kind of support? That's quite difficult to say because both Putin and she were quite vague in their statements after the meeting. And the topic of Ukraine was mentioned, but again, in very vague terms, mostly in connection to the Chinese proposed peace plan that both Kyiv and you know its Western allies have dismissed as a non-starter. I think, at least on the Russian side, the focus is definitely uh, on the economy. Russia pursues some very specific projects and goals. It really wants to build a new pipeline, the power of Siberia 2, which aims to send like tons and tons and tons of gas to China by 2030. But China is a bit reluctant because it doesn't know whether it's going to need all that gas. And for Russia, it's important that China actually agrees to this because it's going to be their main client that's going to replace basically Europe. And it really, really wants to have that nailed. And when it comes to Ukraine, I think for them, uh, the the most important thing is, you know, China is offering a peace plan. um, But that Peace plan doesn't have an explicit demand um, uh, so that Moscow withdraws its troops. Uh, there's no explicit demand um, to return the occupied and next lands uh, in eastern Ukraine. Um, it doesn't really describe how the two parties could achieve a ceasefire, and I don't think Ukraine will agree to it. But we do know that President Vladimir Zelensky plans to talk to Xi Jinping over the phone sometime after uh, the Moscow meetings So it seems very much to me like in this moment, China is playing the diplomacy card and wants to take on the role of mediator. But the peace plan it appears to be offering feels toothless at the same time. I mean, how does China square its desire to play diplomacy in this situation with the fact that its plan doesn't really seem to do much? Well, 
I think publicly they're saying that obviously, yes, they want the war in Ukraine to end because it certainly has disrupted everything on the global arena in the past year, including economy. So I think China has definitely felt that as well. But at the same time, I think they also have sensed an opportunity here because Moscow, as I've mentioned, is definitely finds itself in a less powerful position. So, you know, it definitely can pursue a lot of interests that don't involve a comprehensive and fast peace plan um, in Ukraine and a ceasefire in Ukraine, because, again, it can exploit Russian energy supplies. It, it can, um, you know, leverage Russia to support whatever China's foreign policy goals are. Um, you know, they kind of stand united against the United States. I think China also, you know, made a mention about no country's security should be at the expense of other countries. And that's something like Vladimir Putin has been saying for a very long time. And as we remember, like the very initial pretext of this war was that NATO did not issue security guarantees to Russia. And that was kind of the whole pretext of this invasion, although there were so many iterations after that. But this is one of the talking points there. So to me, at least, it seems pretty clear why Russia wants as close a relationship with China as possible. China is very much helping to prop up Russia financially. But what's your sense of what China gets out of all this? You mentioned gas, but is there anything else? I think it's a lot of things. It's uh, definitely an opportunity for China to kind of take advantage of Moscow's weakened status and sort of the pariah status that it has because it allows it to have more leverage over Russia. And there were a lot of headlines made about whether Russia is now the junior partner in this relationship, whilst, you know, back in like Soviet times, it was very much the the elder brother. For China, it also allows them to, you know, have Russia's diplomatic support for whatever China wants to do, um, some advanced military technology that Russia has and can share with China in return for something. Um, and again, like getting cheap energy from Russia is very beneficial to China because it's opened up its economy for uh, after the um, COVID pandemic. So it's all kind of playing very well into China's hand. Okay, and if we zoom out a little bit, what is it that these two countries find so important about each other ideologically, separate from these kinds of deals that they've made in the past? I think Russia and China, and especially their leaders, see themselves in this kind of confrontation with the constantly meddling United States. You know, Russia and China are both accused of violating human rights. Uh, Putin has been recently given a, an arrest warrant by the International Criminal Court for um, alleged war crimes. China is obviously the Uyghurs. And they want to push back against the Washington's role, sort of this grandstanding over the international order, over the rule of law, over markets, over human rights. Um, they constantly say what they perceive as American hypocrisy and double standards imposed um, on Russia and China. And they want to kind of get away from this overwhelming presence uh, of the United States. And they want to push back against that. So they kind of want to limit U.S. influence, and they're united in this kind of joint hostility to the West and its allies. After the break, how this state visit might have played better for China than for Russia. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. 
I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Mary, what's the response been like to this meeting so far? I think the response from at least the Western capitals was quite cold. Yeah, I saw that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had made some comments about Xi's visit. That President Xi is traveling to Russia days after the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for President Putin suggests that China feels no responsibility to hold the Kremlin accountable for the atrocities committed in Ukraine. And instead of even condemning them, uh, it would rather provide diplomatic cover for Russia to continue to commit those very crimes. The U.S. pointed out that this was just a few days after the International Criminal Court issued uh, an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. So the optics of it are quite strong because he is accused of war crimes. And, you know, you have a ma- major leader visiting him in Moscow with a really, really high profile visit. China and Russia are also two major nuclear powers. Has this meeting, to your understanding, has it stoked any further concerns about security in the West? I think from a nuclear point of view, it hasn't really moved the needle because there are ongoing concerns that, you know, Russia does have a vast nuclear potential. It's dangled the possibility of using them. And it always says that in case the other side strikes first, but there's also conversation about tactical nukes and so on. In the nuclear sense, I don't think that's changed, but from an overall you know, alliance of, you know, Russia and China, that is probably a concern because They've had recently joint military drills, and that's not the first time they have been conducting them. Uh, I think they've had joint drills with Iran. I think it looks like an alliance of countries that are not the biggest fans of the United States, and they are you know, kind of actively trying to train together, have more military cooperation, have more things going in that particular area. So we've got a sense of how some Western powers are looking at this state visit, but what's your sense of the reaction inside Russia? I think, you know, it's interesting what the Russian people will feel after this visit. They like having a strong ally, but I don't think they like seeing the position, Russia's position as the junior partner, because that kind of undercuts a lot of the things that Vladimir Putin has been promising, which is the kind of rebirth of Russia as this great superpower and kind of this, you know, Russian empire, which seems like what he's pursuing and trying to grab Ukrainian lands and, you know, illegally uh, misplace people and kind of frustify them. And it'll be interesting to see how the Russian the, like the Russian domestic public, how would they will perceive it, how they'll feel about it, and feel about where Russia actually finds itself in the world. That is fascinating. So it's possible that by undergoing this entire process, Putin has done more damage to himself domestically than good. Is that fair to say? I think I think it's a possibility. The kind of mm. power of Russian state TV propaganda is very strong. So it the if you watch Russian state TV. Like, this visit was the best thing since sliced bread. Um, and they are welcome it. They praise it. They ran TV ads with Xi Jinping's voice over, like, his most famous quotes in, like, ad breaks. So they are definitely portraying it as, you know, an amazing show of support and, like, this great friendship. But they are and have long been a lot of concerns among Russians 
especially in the Far Eastern territories, about very banal things, even like selling timber to China. They're quite sensitive to that because they think like Russia's pristine woods are being sold to China. And there are a lot of tensions like that. So it's not as straightforward as just, you know, the state TV is portraying it, that, you know, China is coming here and it's great. For a lot of people, they might have questions about why exactly is this happening and why Russia needs China to come to the rescue. So we're looking at a situation where China and Russia are openly kind of reaffirming their commitment to each other. But does it not feel to you a little bit like China is positioning itself as sort of the more effective power of the two at this point? I think to a degree that's true because usually Russia um, is the one that plays this role of an intermediary, for example, in Syria, even though it you know, kind of sent um, planes and, and joined the campaign, joined the war um, later on. But for China, it's an opportunity to definitely show and underscore that in this kind of relationship, it's the bigger brother, and that's a reversal of roles in a way. And also in the way that peace plan has been perceived as sort of diplomatic cover for Moscow in case it wants to regroup without having to actually withdraw troops. It could be a way to kind of stall time. I'm definitely no expert in international affairs, but it seems like for China and Russia to build the sort of new world order that they seem to be working on, you kind of need more than just two countries. Does anyone else seem interested in aligning themselves with China and Russia kind of in the aftermath of all of this? I think Iran definitely comes to mind um, because it's a country that Russia turned to as well after the invasion, after all these sanctions, because Iran has been living under U.S. sanctions for years and years and years. And unlike China, Iran has been in directly aiding Russia because, you know, it's sold um, the Shahed drones that have been used to strike uh, Ukrainian targets, Ukrainian civilian targets and energy infrastructure. So it's definitely taking a way more active role. And they pursue, I think, very similar goals in terms of this being a protest against sort of Washington's influence and its global standing. So this state visit just ended, and in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like a, a perfunctory meeting. You know, they've signed some documents, they had some fancy dinners, but after this, what does a strong China-Russia alliance look like, potentially? Well, I think, first of all, it undercuts one of the major Western goals and U.S. goals is to kind of slow down and hinder Russia's war machine um, and stopping the war in Ukraine, because whatever aid... China can lend to Russia, whether it's you know direct or indirect, will definitely make it harder for the West to have influence and have leverage over Russia. You know, it can cut it off from its own markets, but if it can't cut it off from Chinese markets, then you know it's still a really big source of revenue for Russia. And in more sort of global long-term impact, you know, this is kind of, again, an ideological division of sorts. Obviously, you know, people are drawing parallels to Cold War 2.0. I think it's a bit too early to say whether it's going to mean a, a global conflict or U.S. and China and Russia will find itself in an open, direct military conflict uh, in the near future. This ideological confrontation, at least, um, and sort of proxy confrontations all over the world are not necessarily good for a lot of the issues that the global society is trying to solve. Mary, thanks so much for joining and talking to me about this. Thanks for having me. Mary Alushna covers Russia for The Post. 
That's it for Post Reports. Today's show was produced by Jordan Marie Smith and edited by Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Sean Carter. If you enjoyed our show or found it illuminating, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us make the show as good as it can be and makes it easier for other people to find it too. I'm Chris Velasco. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>